Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro, and this is the first three bonus episodes featuring some of our speakers from the upcoming OME 2022 conference. OME 2022 is the 49th version of this conference and kicks off the beginning of OME's 50th year and the celebration to come. The theme this year is 50 years, a golden math story, and so we hope to have a lot of connections to storytelling and math. The conference itself is virtual and will happen on May 4th, 5th, 9th, and 10th. We know it's a bit different to not have all the days one after another, but we thought it would be interesting to have the days split into two sets of two days separated by a weekend. Now, these preview episodes will have our featured and keynote speakers giving us an idea of what they will be speaking on, and today we're going to be hearing from speakers who are doing their featured and keynote sessions on the first two days. And we're going to start with our first live session at 4 p.m. on May 4th, where we will have several presentations running simultaneously, and one of those will be our featured session from Dr. Kathy Bruce, Tara Flynn, and Shelley Yearly, where they will be talking about their decade of research on fractions. I'm Kathy Bruce. I'm the Vice President Research and Innovation at Trent University, and uh, I've been there since 2003. Before that, I was a classroom teacher and a consultant. And I'm Tara Flynn. I'm an educational researcher, and I've worked with Kathy for the last 15 years at Trent University, most recently as Director of Research for the Trent Math Education Research Collaborative. And I'm Shelley Yearly, and I am currently a teacher with Trillium Lakelands District School Board. Uh, prior to that, I worked at the Ministry of Education for a number of years with Kathy and Tara Uh, engaging in the fractions research and developing related materials. And then also I've been a program consultant at the school board for K-12 mathematics. Okay, and you are going to, you three are going to be doing one of our featured sessions on uh, Rethinking Fractions, Eight Core Concepts to Support Assessment and Learning. I'm wondering if you could give us a brief idea of what that is going to be about. Absolutely. And we're going to be really having a great time with that session, I'm sure, David. One of uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our decade, yes, of research with over 80 teachers and over 2000 students. And what happened there is, um, you know, we developed a fairly significant trajectory for learning. But since and from that, we've distilled and crystallized those ideas into eight core concepts. And we want to talk about those eight core concepts. We also have put a focus on assessment as being a sort of a driver and helping us with the precision of our teaching and learning. And and this sequencing tied to assessment is really important for deep learning. And that's what we're focusing on with the, you know, difficult to teach and difficult to learn area fractions. We will also be emphasizing unit fractions as a sort of way to unlock some fairly complex ideas related to fractions. So uh, we're going to, we, t- we tend to have a lot of fun when we're doing these presentations and engage with our participants very directly. I mean, they will be doing some math, we will be having some fun, and we will be focusing on a really important area of mathematics uh, around fractions. And this 
is all developed and has been really thought through in terms of a new uh, resource that we've created, which is uh, Rethinking Fractions. And, um, and uh, so we're pretty excited to share that. Now, I feel like you're at a disadvantage in that you've got an hour and I feel like even even though you're you're you seem like you're narrowing your your focus here, I don't know how you're going to fit in all the things that you could possibly talk about uh, when you're even talking about eight core concepts. You know, how are we how are we going to see some of those things come to light? Well, I think one of the things we'll do is we'll try and focus on a couple of the sequences, if you will, or sort of look at in particular a couple of core concepts and, and how they're, they flow together, how the assessment works along with the, the sequence tasks and how we focus on unit fractions. So we'll have to use some uh, illustrative examples, I think, David, to make it work. But we're also doing a, um, a sort of a breakout type session later on that will focus more specifically on one part of that uh, sequence. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your breakout session. Uh, I believe you're talking about rethinking the multiplication and division algorithms. Is that not correct? That is correct. And <laughs> that I, I love your question about how how are you going to kind of distill this down to a one hour session? It's that's the question we ask ourselves when we're preparing to do these things. And one way we thought we'd help ourselves is to actually break off one of the more complex aspects of the trajectory and discuss that separately. So we're going to look because multiplication and division are so complex and Historically, we've tended to approach them through the lens of, you know, procedure. We're going to tease that apart a little bit. So we have a little bit of a mini trajectory within multiplication and division that we look at in terms of sequencing that learning. So um, we're going to we're going to look at that and explore that a little bit in the breakout session. Now, I, I guess I was introduced to the a lot of the research that you have done through the fractions learning pathway, and now you've got a, re, uh, a resource coming out. I may it may already be out already. I'm not sure as we record this, and I'm I'm just curious, like why fractions? <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've got thirty seconds. No. <laughs> Well, it's it's one of the most uh, named and known and researched difficult areas for students to understand. And in turn, over time, that has become an adult problem. And so it's also difficult for teachers to teach. And, you know, we just have such a strong emphasis on whole, whole numbers all through school. And then all of a sudden we say, wait, Hold the phone, everybody. There's this other kind of set of rational numbers that we want to explore with you. And, you know, uh, it's kind of done in these discrete chunks that aren't working. And I would just add to that that um, we certainly know from the research that it is a barrier for students to access concepts like algebra if they don't have a good fraction concept. So it's very difficult for senior high school students to do well if they've missed some of these foundational pieces earlier. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. In some areas of the research, fractions are described as a bit of a gatekeeper. So, if you if you can't access 
deep understanding, deep learning in fractions, then algebra is a barrier. That in turn is a gatekeeper towards many other areas of higher mathematics. So it's really um, a bit of a bottleneck in terms of our understanding and where it lets us go or where it lets students go. I'd also say that when we started at in 2000 in the fall of 2011 we 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 thought we were going to have one year of intensive research on fractions together collaborating with with teachers in classrooms that we realized we had so much more work to do and that through fractions we could also address many other areas of mathematics. So in fractions, you have spatial, so much spatial reasoning. You have so much proportional reasoning. You have measurement, you have geometry, you have, so it's, it's a way, it's a way in and a way to many exciting areas of learning in mathematics. Okay. So we don't want to give away the entire uh, talk at this point. Um, this is a, just a preview. And so we are looking forward to hearing the three of you talk uh, or, or enlighten us about all the things that you've learned, or at least a small subset anyways, of the things that you've learned about fractions. And uh, we will see you uh, do that in May. So thanks for coming out and talk to us tonight. Thanks so much, David. Thanks so much. Okay. That was Dr. Kathy Bruce, Tara Flynn, and Shelley Yearly, who will be doing their featured session on Wednesday, May 4th at 4 p.m., their breakout session will be on the last day at 4 p.m. Now on that first day at 6 p.m., we'll have our first keynote with Peter Liliadal, and we'll hear from him a little later. But now we'll move to the 8 p.m. time slot, where we'll have a bunch of presentations and our second featured session from Vanessa Vicaria. And Vanessa, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Great. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Where to begin with all the interesting facts? Well, I guess most relevant to my presentations at OAMI are that I am a math education expert slash math positivity expert. I'm technically called the math guru, and that is because when I was in grade 11, I actually failed grade 11 math not once but twice being told constantly that I just wasn't a math person. You know, I had a really artsy background. I wanted to be a famous rock star and marry Keanu Reeves. And everyone sort of made me feel like people like me never excelled at math. So when I was failing math, I kind of didn't think much about it. That kind of went on for a bit until my parents were like, yeah, that's really great that you want to move to Hollywood and marry Keanu Reeves, but you need to graduate high school. So they sent me to this amazing independent school where I met a math teacher who looked me in the eye and told me there was no such thing as a math person. I ended up with a 98% in grade 12 math, and that sort of changed my entire life and put me into this line of work where I kind of feel like it is my mission on the planet to let everyone know that anyone can be good at math and that most of the stereotypes we learn about what it means to be capable of, of math are false. So that's kind of my roundabout way of saying 
My name is Vanessa. I'm the math guru. I own a tutoring center called the math guru in Toronto. I'm the author of two kids books called math hacks one and math hacks two. And I'm the host of a podcast called math therapy. Okay. And so <laughs> I, I think that is, that is a great intro and that leads us into exactly what you're going to be talking about at OME 2022. Uh, your featured session is called math therapy, a crash course in becoming a math therapist. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So honestly, my journey in math therapy started a few years ago. I do a lot of work in the media around math. So I'm interviewed on TV and radio a lot. And that's I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because every time I get interviewed by a journalist, the same reaction happens. You know, I end up on a show, someone says, Oh, we're going to be talking to Vanessa about math. And then they say something like, Ugh, oh, God, I was horrible at math. And they have this visceral experience. And I started thinking to myself, oh my God, these people need math therapy. Like they have such a trauma response whenever I bring up the word math that we need to do something about this. And that led me to come up with my podcast called Math Therapy. Now in the podcast, I'm on season four now and I interview a huge range of people. So it can be a student who's really uncomfortable about math. It can be an adult who whose bad experience with math has led them to feel really uncomfortable and anxious around money. I even interviewed actually a murderer from jail on the last season, who discovered math in solitary confinement and is using it to rehabilitate himself. It's basically a podcast about all the ways that math emotionally affects us. So that's how it started. But I started getting such a response to the podcast from teachers all around the world saying, oh my God, these strategies are actually working with my students in class. Can you do a bit of a talk around how we can take math therapy and implement it in the classroom, not only for our anxious students, but for all of our teachers who are anxious around math themselves? And that's what the talk is. The talk is basically a presentation on how you yourself as an educator can use math therapy as a tool in your classroom to not just like mitigate math anxiety or, you know, start to try to manage it, but to really dig deep into the traumatic roots math has had on not only your students, but maybe on you and to use five easy steps on how to begin to really face and heal from math trauma. So, and that actually leads into a little, you're also doing a, a breakout session about, I think, maybe those very five most valuable things, becoming a life-changing math teacher. Is that true? I really think that it's so funny. I mean, obviously, mathematical content is a huge part of being a math teacher, right? The curriculum is something that's super important and our ability and proficiency in teaching that is very important. But I think what... You know, in my 10 years of owning this tutoring center, the Math Guru, and of seeing thousands of students pass through our programs, what makes the most difference is actually the life-changing skills we can teach as math teachers. So that session really is about how in the face of curriculum changes that we may have no control over, we can still be the most life-changing math teachers. And I think the most important thing is this. Math is the one subject that kids from a very young age are told they cannot do. It happened to me and it happens to kids everywhere. We don't do the same thing with reading or with like geography, right? We're kind of like, yeah, whatever, fine. Like most kids can learn it. Cool. But most kids at a young age 
sometimes even as babies are are taught, you know what, you don't have the math gene, which we all know is fake. There's no such thing. But parents still believe that. Some teachers even still believe that. The general public definitely still believes that there are some people capable of math and some people who are not. So you have a whole wide range of young people who are out there believing that there is something on this planet they are not capable of doing. And that thing is math. And that sets them up for a lifetime of limiting beliefs. Later in life, when they fail at something, they start thinking, hey, I wasn't a math person. Am I just maybe not a relationship person? Am I just maybe not a job person? Am I just maybe not a athlete? We start thinking these things. So somebody who teaches math, any educator out there who teaches math has this incredible opportunity to change a kid's life by showing them that, hey, Remember how you were taught you weren't capable of this thing called math? I'm going to prove to you that you are. And once I do, the rest of the world opens up to you. And that's why I think as a math teacher, you can be a life-changing teacher above all other subjects that are taught out there. You know, and I think that this idea of I'm not a math person or I I can't do math, I mean, that it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and students can get it from both ends. I mean, I know that you know, I've, I've had parents, you know, say, well, I was never a math person. And, you know, that almost gives the student license to say it themselves. And, and I think, you know, the more we can start to really uh, quash that idea that there's such thing as a math person, the, the more we have a chance of really helping uh, students and, and really all people understand that, that math is, is, uh, is something that everyone can do. Absolutely. There's, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, we could go on about it forever, but math has suffered from a real bad reputation. You know, it needs a PR makeover, but until then it really is our job as educators to really change the game for students and really change the narrative around math and who and who doesn't belong in the math community. And the answer is everyone belongs. And through both of my talks, I'm going to equip educators with the tools to really get up in front of those classrooms and not only feel like they belong there, but to show all their students that they all belong and that they are all capable of belonging to the math community because really the world is one giant math community and it's time that we treat it that way. Okay, so we look forward to having you speak at OME 2022 in May of this year. We're doing that virtually and we're happy that you could come and uh, talk to us a little bit about your sessions today. So Vanessa, thank you and we will see you in May. Can't wait. That was Vanessa Vicaria who will be doing her feature talk at 8pm on Wednesday, May 4th, and her breakout session at 8pm on Monday, May 9th. As we move to the second day, we will have more live sessions starting at 4pm with a feature talk from Dr. Lisa Lenny Borden. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing alright. How about you? Good. Uh, Lisa, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Lisa Lenny Borden, as you say. I Currently hold the John Jerome Paul Chair for Equity in Mathematics Education at St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, Nova Scotia. I have a passion for teaching mathematics at all levels and a passion for equity. And I uh, strive to bring those two things together every day in my work. And I'm really excited about being back at OAME this year. And we are excited to have you as one of our featured speakers this year at OME 2022. Uh, your featured session is called Learning from Mi'kmaq Elders, Stories 
of Mathematics Teaching and Learning from in Mi'kmaq. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I am going to draw upon some stories from my own teaching. I think sometimes for teachers, it's hard to think about what decolonizing education looks like. So maybe if they hear stories of how other people have done it, then um, it helps them to imagine it for themselves. So I'm going to actually draw upon some of my own stories from my own teaching experience and some stories from my research in more recent years to exemplify some of the practices that we use to decolonize education to center Indigenous knowledges in mathematics education, to focus on things like uh, inclusion and belonging for students who are least served by our system, and, um, you know, talk about some of the fun things that I've learned along the way as I've been both a learner and a teacher here in Megamagi for nearly 30 years now. So I'm curious of how important you think the aspect of stories is when it comes to mathematics. That's one of our themes for OME 2022, and it's definitely one of the themes of this talk. I wonder if you could enlighten us a little bit there. Yeah, I think the stories of practice are really important. I think, you know, I I often have, have shared how Indigenous knowledge keepers have used mathematical concepts um, in some of their practices. And, you know, I tell stories about that I've learned from elders as a way to begin a math lesson or to begin, um, you know, a, an inquiry project that might have a mathematics focus. But I also think for stories, for teachers themselves to understand and see themselves in the stories of others who have maybe gone before them or faced the same struggles. So I see story in two ways, both the role of story in terms of, you know, giving a really rich context for learning mathematics but also the role of story in helping teachers to see themselves in one another and and to learn from other people's stories of practice so that they might begin to transform their own practice. So I think story is really important in lots of different ways. Yeah, and I think that that is definitely a way that we can help. I mean, if we can connect with each other with those stories, that makes us easier to connect with the math that we're trying to convey, I guess. Absolutely. And story from an Indigenous perspective is such an important thing too, right? Joanne Archibald, who's a scholar at UBC, talks about the importance of using Indigenous story work, both as a way to make meaning and to make sense of our practice. So really even reflecting on our own stories from our own classrooms is a really important piece. And you're also going to be doing a breakout session for us called Show Me Your Math, Connecting Math to Our Lives and Communities. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Sure. Yeah. So Show Me Your Math is a program that I started with some colleagues Um, Back in 2007 with some teachers in the Mi'kmaq schools and my colleague Dave Wagner at UNB. And, um, you know, it really was an opportunity for students to actually learn stories from elders, to have conversations with elders about the ways in which they use math in their everyday lives. And over the last, you know, 15 or so years, it has morphed into inquiry projects that teachers do in school and an out-of-school program, an after-school program that I do here at St. of X called Connecting Math to Our Lives and Communities. And we use current issues, current topics that are impacting communities as a way to uh, evoke the need for mathematics and STEM more broadly, but certainly the mathematics of it all. So we'll look at things like, you know, why is math important in understanding the moderate livelihood fishery here in Nova Scotia or Why is mathematics important in understanding the impacts of climate change on communities? So things like that. We've done a lot of interesting things. I have a video from our summer camp that we did this summer with kids that I'll share and uh, lots of modules that we'll share to inspire teachers to think about ways to integrate uh, inquiry into their own practice. 
All right. So we are looking forward to having you speak at OME 2022 here in May, virtually. Uh, and thanks for talking to us today, Lisa. No problem. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Lisa Lenny Borden doing her feature talk on Thursday, May 4th at 4 p.m. And her breakout session will be Tuesday, May 10th at 8 p.m. As we move to the end of the second day, we've got a featured session from Dr. Andrew Allen. Okay, so I'm talking with Dr. Andrew Allen. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. Thanks for asking. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Education. I teach mathematics to teacher candidates, elementary teacher candidates who are going into teach, learning to teach in the elementary panel. And I am this year, uh, or last year, started out as the university's anti-racism pedagogist teaching leadership chair. So my role is to advance anti-racism pedagogies across the universities to work with my colleagues and work with different departments and faculties. So given that role, your OME 2022 session, exploring the relationship between mathematical knowledge and political knowledge through critical math literacy seems to be right up your alley. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that session. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm excited about that. So when they asked me to do this, this is kind of what I do. This is kind of my 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 specialty. So it's so again, I work with people going out to be teachers and getting them to connect math with students' cultural and um, and social and economic uh, the community histories and using ways in which the math can empower students. So I th- believe that math has the power to help us understand and potentially change the world. Most folks think that math is neutral, but um, I not only want students to understand math, I want them to understand the mathematics of political knowledge and the politics of mathematical knowledge and understand the politics of knowledge in general. But uh, math opens up the a way of critiquing, analyzing, and bringing about potential change. So now I'm wondering, does this mean that you're sort of doing a lot of data analysis? Oh, absolutely. So we can get students to look at government budgets, get them to look at the impact of war, get them to look at the meaning of the national debt, unemployment data, and uh, proposed policies and the financial impact of those policies, minimum wage, a living wage. I think these are real things that we should get our, ki- our students looking at. The influence of advertising and the ways in which we advertise and things are targeted, particularly, say, for example, towards children and towards consumerism, so question consumerism, the level of pollutants that uh, that companies are penalized when they pollute. So they have to do this, offset this cost of how much to pollute and how much not to pollute. Racial, looking at racial profiling, looking at crime stats, looking at stereotypes, getting students to question peer pressure, examining wants and needs in consumerism, production cost of things like say, for example, sneakers, looking at questionable manufacturing practices and looking at the impact on communities and why things are made here and not made here. These all tie into the curriculum, Canada's trading partners and uh, what's imported and what's not imported and why. So these are all key things that students can learn about and should be learning about in order to make a change when they become adults. Now, you're, you said you're teaching pre-service teachers, pre-service elementary teachers. Is there, is there a different approach that you take with them, whether they are, say, more primary versus a intermediate teacher? Absolutely. And what you want to do, particularly with the younger ones, is to be as exploratory, 
the kids are um, they're curious and to um, engage in national nat natural curiosity. So, for example, one of the lessons that I used to do when I was a classroom teacher is that the kids sit in a circle, have them each take off one foot of their shoe, throw them in the center, and have them do a sorting activity. And you start up by just open-ended. What are, what's one way in which you can sort the, your shoes? What's another way of sorting? What's another way of sorting? So they start sorting by size, brand, color, fastener, and then they eventually get to where the shoes were made. And um, I had a class of 28 second graders, and of the 28 shoes that were in the middle of the circle, 27 were made in China. So the kids looked at me and they asked, mm, why is that, Mr. Allen? And I said, well, let's find out. So give creating situations where you engage their curiosity so kids start asking questions and I never gave them the answer and left things open-ended and have them explore, have them ask those questions. And they'll say things like, how come you know my uncle can't find a job here in our community? Why we, as Canada, we can make shoes here? Why we're making shoes abroad? And I say, well, let's find out. Let's go and explore, let's ask. And I never, again, I never gave them the answer. I, what I want to do, I just want them to be curious and I want them to ask questions. Okay, so if our listeners want to hear more from you, you will be uh, giving this uh, webinar at our OME 2022 virtual conference in May. So thank you for talking to us today. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll see you in May. Okay, thank you. That was Dr. Andrew Allen, who will be doing his feature talk at 8 p.m. on Thursday, May 5th. As mentioned earlier, we'll have one keynote during these first two days, and that will be from Peter Lilliedahl at 6 p.m. on our opening night. He's going to talk to everyone about how story fits into the thinking classroom. So my name is Peter Lilliedahl. I'm a professor of mathematics education at Simon Fraser University, and I am the author of Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics. And you are going to be one of our keynote speakers, Peter. You're going to be talking about the role of story in building a thinking classroom. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So I, I often get asked what the role of storytelling and why storytelling itself was not one of the practices embedded within the 14 practices of building thinking classrooms. And of course, anybody who has ever worked with me knows that I use story extensively in, in the way I pose problems. So I thought I would explore this a little bit more within this keynote, and I'm gonna take a look at story in some really obvious ways, like the use of storytelling as a way to introduce a problem. But I'm also gonna look at storytelling in more subtle ways that exist within the thinking classrooms, like the role of narrative in the way we do consolidation, and what is the role of story in the way students write notes to themselves? And, and what is the role of story in the way students construct their identity as a math student. So I wonder if you could expand a little bit on that. I mean, I think we are we're pretty familiar with the idea of using a story to introduce an idea, but I'm, I'm more curious about this idea of a, a more subtle use of story. If you could uh, give us maybe a more specific example of that. Okay, so when we, when we look at story, like we're all, we all understand what story is in the sense of like a, a story that we read to our children or a story that we tell to capture an audience when we're, when we're in a social setting, we tell stories and so on and so forth. But there's, there's actually a whole bunch of work that's been done around what actually constitutes a story and, and what is it that, that are the captivating elements of a story. 
And what is the role of narrative when we're telling a story? So for example, what is it that story does? So one of the things that story does is it helps embed emotion and it helps create a vehicle through which emotion can be carried. And this is why one of the classic understandings of story is like, how do we know when a story is done? We know that a story is done when we know how to feel. So, so emotions is embedded. So, so story becomes a really powerful vehicle, not just to carry information, but to carry feeling and to encode information with feeling. So, but one of the really important elements of story is narrative. And one of the important parts of narrative is, is chronology, the chronological telling of a story, which is often lost in mathematics. Because in mathematics, we have focused more on the logical than on the chronological. So pulling back the chronological and, and looking at the way, for example, in when, when we're doing a consolidation, what is the narrative structure of how students have solved this problem? Rather than the logical solution, what is the chronological solution that the class went through in working through a, a task? And, and when you look at consolidation in my book, it's often about starting with the, the clear beginning. What is the rudimentary way students approach the problem? And then how did they get, what was the middle? Where was the places they got stuck? And where were the places that the solution branched? And then the conclusion, where is the places you got to and so forth? So, so embedding that sort of chronological narrative structure back into the consolidation, as opposed to just the logical way that we tend to think about mathematics. So this is more uh, more elaborate than just listing the steps, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So when you think about what you're going to speak on, can you give me maybe one or two points, I, I guess, without giving giving away the whole talk, something something that you might want uh, our, our your audience to walk away from your your keynote with? Well, I think I've already said the important part, which is that paying attention to the chronological as opposed to just the logical, I think is an important part of how students learn. I think another thing that I would want my audience to walk away with is the understanding that storytelling, stories are not just something that students think about, it's also something that students think with. And the way they, they embed their thinking inside of the story that you tell and how that becomes the vehicle through which they think about the solution that they're working on. I know this is all very esoteric and, and it hasn't fully been thought out yet because I have many months to prepare this talk. So I'm, uh, I'm still forming some of these ideas. Well, and I think that's what we look forward to. I know that you've been a speaker at OME uh, many times and uh, we're looking forward to hearing how you're weaving story into the thinking classroom. So we will talk to you, or I guess we will hear you in May. Yeah. And uh, thanks for talking to us today. No problem. My pleasure. That was Peter Liliadal, who will be our featured speaker on Wednesday, May 4th at 6 p.m. He will also be doing what he calls a fireside chat at 8 p.m. That is for those who want to go deeper with a thinking classroom. He'll be taking questions and going into more detail for anyone who wants that information. So that's our first two days of featured and keynote speakers. Besides that, we'll have over 120 more breakout sessions over the four days as well as a virtual trade show. Full registration will be open on February 14th. And stay tuned for another preview episode in two weeks where we'll talk to the rest of our featured and keynote speakers for the last two days of the conference.
In the meantime, thanks for listening and stay safe.